How am I supposed to write my book on this topic if I'm busy living it out? Exactly. I'm just supposed to be telling other people to do it. Exactly. See, I don't need to live it. Yeah, you get that, Max. Yes. <clears throat> Alright guys, well welcome to the Mosaic Bible Study... No, I don't want to say that. Okay. I'm sorry. Welcome to the Mosaic Bible Study Recap. Um, I'm Anthony Nashen here with Max Niner. Hello. And if we are just a few days late normally with our podcast, that is because someone had a birthday. So happy birthday, Max. Thank you. Another year older. My kids, one guess that I'm five. <laughs> and one guess that I'm 61. So Playful and mature. Yeah, you guys can guess what <laughs> I really am. Well, however old you are, <laughs> glad you have another year or so yeah happy happy birthday thanks okay well this week we talked through matthew 4 12 to 5 16 your homework and small group and large group and so this was the passage um or the passages i should say that covered the transition from john the baptist ministry to jesus ministry and um, jesus ministry of preaching and teaching calling disciples mm-hmm. um, and of course we got to the beginning of the sermon on the mount yes and so yes we are ready for this this yeah, has been the crown jewel we've been so excited for and so we'll spend the next three weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to walk through our three questions. What do we wish we had more time for in our teaching time? And what impact were we hoping to see in our community? And what personally affected us? So let's start with, what do we wish we had more time for? Do you want to kick us off next? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing that came to my mind was the continuity between Jesus and John's ministry. And Antonia just mentioned it, but there really is like a handing of the chor- torch from John to Jesus. And we see it in the fact that John has been proclaiming the kingdom. And I think sometimes we gloss over how identical their language is. So Matthew is, he is intentionally presenting these figures as carrying on the same message. But really the big difference between them is that John is pointing forward to something, whereas Jesus is saying, mm-hmm. here it is. Yes. We are doing it. And the distinction is, I don't know that we talked a ton about this in last week's teaching, but John is pointing to a baptism of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. as opposed to a baptism with water, which is like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. And we see it. We see it mm-hmm. in Jesus's ministry. His sure. baptism, his work is marked by a pronounced change from John's. And we're going to see it in the healings he's bringing because we don't hear about John healing anybody. But we also see it in how he's applying righteousness to a further degree in the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. He's expecting from his followers a new degree of righteousness because of the unique baptism he's bringing. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really helpful. I think for me, the first thing that came to mind was, um, yeah, just some of the connections to Isaiah and the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. And so Melanie, you know, last week talked about um, just how, yeah, and I think we've, we've both talked about this in different ways, but how Isaiah is sometimes considered like the fifth gospel, just because yes. of how much um, Isaiah, especially the last um, part of Isaiah, really shaped, would have shaped the expectations, messianic expectations yes. um, of the gospel writers. Um, and so I think we, we see that in, or we do see that in the Beatitudes um, of just some of the, um, I think, oh, like the peace, for example, like. Um, blessed are the peacemakers for they actually be called sons of God. And we know mm-hmm. that in Isaiah, Jesus, or uh, the Messiah, yes. <laughs> the coming Messiah is called the Prince of Peace. And so just there's so much in the Old Testament about these, like, hey, one day, one day, one day, yes. we will have this. It won't just be written um, externally, but be written in our hearts. One day, one day, one day, we'll have this experience of um, of all, all of these, this, of the kingdom of heaven. And so to your point, Max, about, like, hey, it's now, um, that phrase, um, 
oh, what is it? It's in verse, from that time on, verse 17, from that mm-hmm. time. And just that, oh, like, that is just so unbelievably significant. Yep. Um, and so I think we see, yeah, just another a little parallel to, um, yeah, the, the broader sense of Jesus fulfilling all that we all that we have been waiting for. And so I think we saw that a lot in the Beatitudes, and so I wish I could have pulled out some, just a little bit more of that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a great call, because the language is very charged. Mm-hmm. Jesus is intentionally picking right. words that have these deeper significances. I think one thing that's really cool, if you go back to Isaiah, if you look at the chronology of what's happening, the time, I mean, there's messianic tones throughout mm-hmm. Isaiah, mm-hmm. but the turning point in his book is when Israel goes into exile. Mm-hmm. That's when the messianic notes really go into mm-hmm. high gear. Yeah. And it's as the people are apart from the promised land of God, mm-hmm. they long for this. And you think about Jesus's day, yeah. they feel like they're in an exile functionally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, something else that you wanted to cover? Yes. Yeah. So another big thing here without opening up too big of a can of worms is the chronology of Matthew. Mm -hmm. So what we get at the tail end of four after that 417 statement, that transition moment, Mm -hmm. is we see like a sweep of the entire ministry of Jesus in the north. So Matthew is using those tail verses of chapter four to tell us about the entirety of Jesus's ministry. Mm -hmm. And so what we see is people are coming from all over, from Syria. These crowds are following him. He's healing. He's teaching. He's moving from place to place, proclaiming the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then chapter five is a moment where Matthew zooms in on Jesus's ministry. Mm -hmm. He's kind of given us this broad phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm -hmm. And Matthew is explaining through the Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. And so he gives us kind of like this compilation of Jesus's teachings. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing that I think is helpful for us to ask. I don't have the answer, but if we think about it, so we see Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount in chapter five. Mm -hmm. We see this overview of his ministry in chapter four, but Matthew won't be called until chapter 10, chapter 11. Mm -hmm. And so it begs the question, was Matthew here for this stuff? Like, was Matthew called as part of the original calling thing or not? And then does that mean Matthew was present for the Sermon on the Mount or not? And we don't have the answer to that question. The reason I think it's an interesting question to pose is because the Sermon on the Mount is likely a compilation of Jesus's greatest teachings. Mm -hmm. That's not to say there wasn't a moment Mm -hmm. where Jesus preached a sermon on the Mount, where he huddled his disciples up on a mountaintop Mm -hmm. and he did this. But the reason I call it out is if you look at the parallels in Luke and Mark, Mm -hmm. there's some differences. Right. And part of the reason is what Matthew's doing is he's showing us I mean, Jesus stopped in dozens of towns, mm-hmm. preached the kingdom dozens of times, yeah. talked about the characteristics of a disciple many mm-hmm. times. And so each author is calling out different pieces from these whole arrangements of the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really important. And even to, you know, continue with that, and we talked about this in one of the you might have as well, just let me know. Yeah. Um, and that just, you know, we've seen over and over again, I feel like everyone's always sick of us here, sure. here say this, but we see these parallels to Israel's story. Yes. And I just need to like no, that's get great. that recorded so I can just yeah. like press the button. <laughs> Play your own sound Yeah, yeah parallels to Israel's story, Israel story. And so just that idea, you know, that, that like we've already kind of experienced some of that, like, oh, like what if Matthew wasn't there? Or what if, what if Matthew is kind of taking these other pieces to, to, to um, highlight something? And so I know we talked about just how, yeah, the last time God spoke from mountain was in Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. And bringing in the law. And so that kind of gets me yep. to one thing that I wish we would have had more time to cover, which is just the question or answering the question, like, why does Jesus teach? Hmm. And so I asked that um, because 
yeah, just because so often in our language and I think in, yes, our community at times, it's like yeah. Jesus came to die. Jesus yep. came to die. And yes, Jesus did come yes. to die. He came to save his people from his sins. Um, but then why not just, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier, Max, of why not when John gets arrested, why doesn't he just do something to provoke his own arrest and then mm-hmm. die, you know? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, just like, why does Jesus teach? I don't know if we've really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just want to talk a little bit about that. And so I know, I think one thing when I consider that is that Jesus is, yeah, he is, we talked about this a few weeks ago, like he's like the new Adam, right? Yes. So he is taking on, he is new creation, new humanity. He's mm-hmm. going to do what we could not do. Yep. Um, and yeah, we need to know what is he doing that is different than what we could do, you know? And so there's something there that he's teaching. Yes. Like for instruction, um, for his disciples and for his followers to carry on this new way of being, yep. but also he's going to show it and not and model it and then do it on our behalf and so yep. that's just kind of where i'm at i think there's probably a lot there yeah um, in terms of unpacking that but i think it's good for us to consider like what what's the point of jesus teaching besides just something for us to like think about you know like there's yes. something that's that's important about his teaching ministry in particular. no that's really good and i so i think you're dead on to say that jesus didn't come just to die mm-hmm. although his death and resurrection is supremely important yes. and that's that is our, in the Protestant tradition, mm-hmm. our focus is on substitutionary penal atonement, mm-hmm. which is what Jesus is doing on the cross. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we do gloss over the Gospels. I think that's why we're so epistles-driven. Yes. We want to hear Paul talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We don't really want to sit in the teachings of Jesus because they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sit in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like, Ooh, yeah, it's I don't want to be here for long because it's uncomfortable because yeah. it's a hard way to live. Yeah. But one thing I would add to that is if we look at how Matthew's arranging his gospel, we've got this long buildup of fulfillment, Mm -hmm. chapters one, two, three. Chapter four, we get this turning point. From that moment on, he's preaching the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Chapters five through seven, he's going to talk about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Chapters eight and nine, nine, Jesus is going to enact the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Chapter 10, he's going to commission his disciples Mm -hmm. to do the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So it's like Jesus takes it on. He's obedient. Jesus tells us what it's going to be like. He shows what it's going to be like. And then he says, you go do it. it. And then we get into the parable section. But we do see there's like an arc to Mm -hmm. all of this in terms of there's kind of a transition Mm -hmm. in the same way Jesus took on John's ministry. Jesus is readying us to take on his ministry. Mm -hmm. This is one thing we talked about of that prophecy from Isaiah, the darkness has seen a great light. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is Matthew begins this section, chapter 4, applying that to Jesus, Mm -hmm. and then Jesus at the end of the Beatitudes applies it to us. You are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. So what Jesus once was, we are now, which is incredible. That's a good Max Stanley, gentlemen. One year older. One year older. There it is. Who knows where we'll be when I'm 62. Oh, gosh. Wait. You're 62, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah, that would be you're having way too much fun. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I have, Max. You yeah, have I've got things. a couple small yeah. things. One, this is a small observation, but it, God and his kingdom cares about our physical bodies, our physical selves. Antony is giving me a smirk because we were talking about this beforehand. It's true. And just that Jesus didn't come just to address spiritual realities. Yeah. Although he does, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the Beatitudes are primarily focused. But if we look at his healings in chapter 4, he's come to make us wholly mm-hmm. restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not just restoring us to God. He's restoring us to creation and to ourselves. And yeah. so Jesus cares about our bodies and he cares about us living in health. Mm-hmm. And there is a tension there that I feel of the already not yet yeah. of God can and will heal miraculously in some cases, and he can and will heal through common grace of doctors and medicine. And there are other ways in which our bodies fail us now where we're waiting for 
heaven to come back and so that we can be restored. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was one thing that jumped out to me. Another, this is just like uh, a big uh, point of personal, I don't know what I'm saying right now. One of my favorite books is called Studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it is a book that chronicles 60 sermons he preached through just the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. The man moved like a snail through all of Scripture. <laughs> and it is like profoundly shaped how I view the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and especially the Beatitudes. Sure. And so one thing he talks about how is we commonly think about the Beatitudes like we think of Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Proverbs are these individual sound bites on wisdom that mm-hmm. you can take out of the context of the whole and use. Mm-hmm. Uh, guard your heart, for fl- from it flows the springs of life. Mm-hmm. I don't need the rest of Proverbs to benefit from that. Sure. And he, he basically says this is what we do with the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. We strip them out of their context and we use, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Like, it doesn't really make a ton of sense outside mm-hmm. of its context. Yeah. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, he talks about a progression in the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. They tell the story of the individual Christian's life. Mm-hmm. That we move from seeing our spiritual poverty, that we have nothing to offer God, to mourning our sinful condition, to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to then bearing fruit in the Spirit, growing Mm -hmm. in mercy, Mm -hmm. growing in purity of heart, growing Mm -hmm. in peacemaking. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I'm always struck with that idea. I was bummed that I didn't have more time to talk about it. Um, But I just want to throw it out there. The Beatitudes are not Proverbs. And one thing that he says that I thought would be fun to bring here is he looks at the definition of the Beatitudes, this kind of expanded definition of righteousness, especially as we get into you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how if Christians were to actually live like this, if we were to actually live like how the Sermon on the Mount is going to describe us, we would never need to do an evangelism event. Mm. We would never need to do personal evangelism courses Mm. because we would be living so differently from the world around us. And I was just like, dang. That's like dead on. And it's really interesting to think about. He's preaching in England Mm. at the time when Billy Graham is like really exploding Mm. in popularity, which I hadn't put together before. I kind of wonder if this was some shots fired at Billy Graham. And like not to say anything negative about Billy Graham, but (laughs) as somebody ministering in England, which is like a post-Christian society, post-World War Mm. II, he's looking at all this revival culture yeah. and he's like, that's not what the church needs, mm. at least not in his context. What sure. the church needs is for us to just live out our faith. Right. So that, that's was good. really challenged by that. So if you want to get coffee with Max, talk about Martin Lloyd-Jones. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's something else. They have all these old recordings of him and his accent is so thick that really? I have to like follow along with the transcript. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay. Okay. We're ready to move on to our next question. Yep. Okay. Our next question is what impact in our community were we hoping for? I can start. I think one thing I was really hoping um, that we would walk away with Moments Bible City was just seeing that connection, which we've already talked about a little bit, between um, the kingdom of heaven and repentance mm. as like the doorway to the Sermon on the Mount. And so I think Max is doing a great job of explaining how, yeah, it, it's both, um, it's kind of showing kind of this like condensed uh, vision, if mm-hmm. you will, of the Christian life. Yep. And then Jesus will actually act it out and then will actually send. Um, but just the connection, I feel like one of the ways that the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in particular are taken out of context is that it's separate from repentance. Mm. Um, and so we get to, you know, the Lord's Prayer and we're like, you know, yep. God's kingdom come, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we're like, how come that's not, you know, me getting this parking spot I want? Or how come it's not me getting <laughs> X, Y, or Z? Or how come it's not me feeling better? Um, and all those things matter. I mean, like, y'all, we need parking spots. Okay, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not taking a shot there. Yes. But just the idea 
that when we stay and we can remember this um, this first this call to repentance mm. to um, and then invitation to the kingdom of heaven that that really just shapes our expectation so much and so I used um, an example I don't know if I've shared this with you but I no. went white water river rafting okay <laughs> a few years ago <laughs> tongue twister for sure uh, yes uh, white water river rafting and I remember um, the guide essentially you know which I, I feel like I was tricked into it yeah I was okay. gonna say I can't see you voluntarily signing up for yeah, that yeah I was like yeah some water in Colorado sounds nice and it was like whatever like if it's like there's six categories like it was like category five like it was like the one right mm. and so it was really intense yeah, and category six is like don't do that okay well then maybe it was category four i don't know there oh was no like, i'm oh, if okay. you're on five then like that's it's, not a small thing yes, yes it was not a small thing yes. i remember walking away with that i can always say this is not a small thing um but we got there and you know we take this bus and kind of reality is like hitting me mm. and so long story short i and um, the guide you know this bearded colorado man is mm. like okay so if you fall out i'm like falling out like mm-hmm. you're not like, strapping me into this yeah <laughs> like what do you mean <laughs> um you know like you are a participant in your own rescue like mm. you essentially are gonna mm. have to help get yourself back in the boat and sure enough there was another nice bearded man running along the side of the river who's would throw something and help you get out but i did not want that and so anyways sure enough though i fell out which is very common i always fall yeah. out if there's <laughs> it's just gonna happen this does not surprise me. yeah and i just remember that the shock of that water and it's yeah. so cold and yet had he not told me like hey if you fall out, this is what you do. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it would have been, you know, so hard. And so anyways, I knew what to do and climb back in and it was fine. Embarrassing, but fine. And so all to say that something I talked about with the Sermon on the Mount was like, man, these words are shocking at times. Mm. And, um, and yet, uh, it's kind of like that, how, like to your, I think we'll talk about this later, but like, it's so important that we have right, quote unquote, expectations. No, what totally. What heaven is actually going to be like. And so all to say, you know, I mentioned and circle back to, I wanted to be clear that, you know, the kingdom of heaven to enter is not participating in our own rescue, right? That we cannot participate in our own rescue in that sense. And yet mm. something that having that, that reminder of like, hey, we first started repentance. Like that's what, that's what it's all about. So if you get down the road and you're talking about forgiving your enemies, or you're talking about, you know, these other things, like yes. it's starting at this point. We have nothing to offer, nothing to give. We need mercy. And so anyways, that's something that I really wanted to uh, make sure that our community was imp- impacted by. And then also this idea, you know, Isaiah 30, 15, um, as I talked about that idea of repentance, like there's just this, it can automatically feel like, okay, so there's all these things I have to do hmm. um, or all these things I need to be true, uh, whether it's other people's feelings about me or just this idea that when it comes to repentance and and it's not just, oh, I don't do anything, if that makes sense. Like there's yeah. something required and um, that it can feel automatically works-based. And so, um, yeah, Isaiah 30, 15 says, For thus of the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Mm-hmm. And so I mentioned that. It's like, hey, like, Yes, like repentance though leads to rest, and we yeah. only have true rest in repentance. And if we're going to talk about the connection of uh, Israel story to <laughs> Matthew, sorry, here it is again. You know, just the idea of like yeah, when they are, um, you know, called when they are given the law, right? Mm-hmm. And like, how is that loving? You know, it's truly like how is yeah. that loving? How is that supposed to? They're coming a battered people coming out of Egypt, yeah. and yet like there is. Um, I mean, they're given the Sabbath, right? So they're given this rest. Um, but for them, the rest was from their enemies. And certainly, yeah. promised them, the rest will be from enemies. And so for us, though, like one of the two experiences of fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven is that our rest is not just from external enemies, but it's from our internal enemy of mm-hmm. sin. And so all to say that, just this reminder of like, hey, repentance, it can feel like that, that cold splash of water. 
but ultimately it's good because it, we're given the ability or the opportunity through Jesus to actually rest from our pride, to mm. rest from our self-justification, to rest from our yep. boasting. And so, and yeah, that was something that I was really hoping would, would, would stay. Would totally. I love that analogy. And you're right, because I do think we are, any idea of participating in our rescue mm-hmm. can sound odd. Right. But what we're going to find next week is Jesus is going to say things like, as much as you forgive others is as much as you'll be forgiven. Right. So I do think there's an element in the Sermon on the Mount of like, he's yeah. readying us for a yeah. new way of living. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really good. Um, and we'll talk about that next week mm-hmm. as well. Oh, and I had a lovely time the rest of the whitewater. Mm, good. Rafting trip, Those so. bearded men. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Uh, my For me, when I'm thinking about our community... I cut this from my teaching because it came mm. off as like way too preachy when I practiced it. Okay. Uh, but the, so I have an older mentor named John Hawkins, mm-hmm. and John has a phrase he loves to use. He says, "Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." Mm. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. That's deep, John. It is. It and like when he says it, coming out of his wizened mouth, it is like, "Oh, you're right." But um, <laughs> when when he says that, what he means is like. The people we surround ourselves with today and the choices we make today are what we're going to be like in the future. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really worry about or long for at Mosaic is just more generational diversity in our body because mm-hmm. we are very homogeneously in one pocket of age for the mm-hmm. most part. And part of that is just the church we planted from and the socioeconomic backgrounds of Richardson and who the average home buyer is. There's lots of caveats there. But when I look around the church at large, it's like, where are the 50-year-old men? Mm-hmm. Where are the 60-year-old men? Mm-hmm. They're not here. Mm-hmm. And you know why they're not here? It's because they spent their 30s and 40s not really caring or investing mm-hmm. in the church and in their faith. And the, the reason that was sticking out to me is as I was thinking about Jesus's call of calling the disciples, mm-hmm. the thing that kept jumping out to me is, are our people making disciples? Mm-hmm. Because if we're not making disciples now, it's not something you start doing when you turn 50 Mm -hmm. and when you have wisdom to offer. Because I think it's easy for me right now at the tender age of five or 61, (laughs) depending on which of my children you ask. But no, me in my 30s, I think it's easy for me to go, well, like, what do I have to offer somebody? Or who can I really call to follow me? Because that's what Mm -hmm. Jesus is doing. He's saying, follow me. And this is one of those places where Jesus is utterly unique. Mm -hmm. He can unquestionably say follow me right but he is going to charge his disciples to say you need to make disciples yeah and so i can make a lot of excuses of why i'm not ready for others to follow me mm-hmm. but if i do that i'm setting myself on a trajectory to not be making disciples in my 40s and my 50s and my 60s right. and so the thing i really want our community to ask itself is are we setting patterns and expectations now that will grow us into mature disciple makers as we age because we need to be mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. Okay. Let's move on to our last question. Last question. What personally affected us? For me, I think it was um, thinking about Jesus' audience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so much there, right? So thinking about people that, it's a mixed crowd, you know, so yes, he has his disciples, which would have been larger than like, a, not just including, not exclusive to the 12, right, but people who are following him. And so, yeah, there's some, some you know, some mixture of understanding at this point, you know, of what Jesus is probably doing. And yeah. we'll see that throughout. Um, but then you have this larger, this larger crowd, this larger audience. And surely some people there were healed and some people that were not healed. Some people there, you know, were different means. And so just this idea, it's kind of this, like, mixed audience. 
and just knowing even all the background that we've already covered in terms of this time period and specifically the Jewish audience and just Gentile, like all of it. Just thinking about like when Jesus says, blessed are those and what comes out of his mouth is not mm-hmm. circumstantial. Yep. It's not blessed are those whose bodies are healed mm-hmm. or blessed are those. I mean, paralytics and demons. I mean, there's a lot going on, yes. right? And he doesn't say blessed are those who never experienced it or blessed are those who are three weeks out from me healing them and are, mm-hmm. you know, are living their best lives. You know, like it's not any of that. It's just, it's this really um, startling thing. And so it's just personally affecting me of like so often I think, I mean, I wouldn't use those words, blessed are those, or blessed will I be, or blessed is this person because, blank, blank, blank. Um, but it's so easy to put in something else that are not Jesus's words of what it means to be a disciple and not a picture of the Christian life. Yes. And so just good for me to kind of contrast, okay, what do I assume is blessing? Or what do I even assume is God's favor? Yeah. Um, God's deep, delighting approval um, in myself or in others. And so that's what I think affected me most. Mm. That's good. This, I think, is related. You can tell me if it's not. Okay. But I have spent a lot of time thinking about when the Gospel of Matthew was written. Mm-hmm. 60, 70, 80 AD, depending mm-hmm. on who you ask. And But to think about, like, this is a decent amount of time after Jesus has ascended, mm-hmm. and the church is in, like, a new phase in which they're experiencing persecution, mm-hmm. and Matthew's reflecting back on the teachings of Jesus, thinking, what do we need to hear? Right. And not to say, but he's he's speaking both of accurately what Jesus said sure. and what the church needed to hear. Yeah. It's just a comfort to me mm-hmm. to think about, like, we live in an age like that, that Matthew was in, like, yeah. post-Jesus. Right. And what do we need to hear today? Yeah. So, yes, that's so, great. Yeah, I think that was perfectly on Chuck. Uh, for me, the personal application has been, this is an Antonia plug, uh, family discipleship. And I mentioned this in my teaching, but I'm really grateful for the resources that Antonia puts together in the monthly family discipleship newsletter. I'm going through some John Tyson stuff. I'm doing his primal path. Uh, He also has a book, The Intentional Father, that we'll be giving out at our lunch Mm -hmm. next week for uh, our dads and men on how to make your kids a priority in the midst of competing demands. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've just been struck by, like, all of us are called to make disciples. Mm Mm-hmm. If you are a parent, you know at least who you are called to be making disciples of, your kids, right? right? And I'm just, I'm thinking about that for myself. I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an almost one-year-old, and it's a lot, Mm -hmm. and it's hard, Mm -hmm. but it is good, Mm -hmm. and it's something that's worth persevering in, but it's also something that, like, I'm not going to stumble into. Right. And so that's really where I've just been thinking about, if I want to disciple Mm -hmm. my kids, I need a plan and it doesn't have to be arduous Mm -hmm. but like right now what we're trying to do in our home aside from setting like normal rhythms so Mm -hmm. things like family worship and nightly prayer and intentional spaces for conversation is thinking about milestones in their life milestones of birthdays or significant ages that we can mark with events and with conversations about who they are and whose they are Mm, so good I love it. <laughs> okay, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. And we hope it is helpful. We love you. And it's been such a joy to walk through the Gospel of Matthew. So we've got a few more weeks to do this. Yes. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.